welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone in the ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Uh, not my favorite medical drama on this episode. <laughs> yeah, fair. And Daniel. Hey! <laughs> there you go. There's, there's our vibe for today. Today we'll be discussing Season 9, Episode 9, which is titled Next of Kin. The episode aired on December 5th, 2002. Lauren, what was going on that week 21 years ago? Uh, first off, I want to note this is a content warning for all-encompassing awfulness regarding a trans child. This yeah, episode fuck the, fuck this noise. has some awful just transphobia and misgendering, so... Of course, we're out of Pride Month for this, but if this is going to be, you know, triggering or awful for you, we will see you next episode. Consider like, making a donation to the Trevor Project, who helps yep. trans youth. But yeah, so content warning here. It's going to be a doozy. We're just going to let Lizzie talk for 45 minutes. Fuck the episode. Um, with that being said, headlines this week. A staple of Lizzie's childhood, best-selling cookbook author Ina Garden debuts her hit Food Network show, Barefoot Contessa. The show, which featured Garden pr- preparing simple multi-course meals for her family, ran for 297 episodes across 29 seasons, finally ending December 2021. This was on day two. Whenever I was sick, whenever I was sick, it was usually like I'd start my day with some ER and then go into the prices right, yep. and then I would switch over to the Food Network, and this there would you be go. on. Perfect. Two two things about this. One, I always found her weird and off putting. I <laughs> I have never I have never liked Ina Garden. I don't I it's I'm sure she's a lovely person. I have nothing against her personally. I just found her hosting style like that weird sort of like she was clearly trying to go for like Food Network's Bob Ross, like where she's just yeah. like talks quietly and like I don't know. Just something about her just like always made my skin do the heebie-jeebies like i just Where's did not found, like her Whereas i found a calming so. I, just, I don't know something something about her i just couldn't couldn't wrap my head around and also like didn't she constantly talk about her partner who was like never on screen like and i can't remember what I, the name was but like she she used to constantly reference her partner slash husband and like for some reason that used to drive me insane too i'd be like shut up shut up about whatever his name is like i just it i mean it just didn't the whole concept is family meals i know so. i know I, th- this is another one of those ones where i know i'm wrong but i know i'm in the minority and i know i'm wrong but it's still just like i've never been able to like wrap my my arms around her like she just and, doesn't do it for me and as always i am in the middle having never watched the show uh, and then the other the other weird little footnote of this is that she's like best friends with juliana margulies <laughs> like <laughs> Juliana Margulies and her are constantly posting things on each other's Instagrams. Like it's it's kind of weird how how much those two are like buddy buddy. All right. In, uh, in more funny news, die another day. Pierce Brosnan's final time in the role of British super spy James Bond, and also starring Halle Berry, Rosamund Pike, Toby Stevens, and Dame Judi Dench, debuts in Melton Ice Hotel en route to two box office victories over the Thanksgiving break. This movie is a comedy, and you cannot tell me otherwise. Fair. Is this the one? This isn't the one with the skiing, is it? Is this the one? Yep. Oh, oh it is the one with the skiing. It absolutely is. Oh, God. Yeah. Poor Pierce Brosnan, man. Like, the, the, the his Bond movies just get worse as they go. Like, he really did peak yeah. with his first one, and they just got worse until it reaches this point where this is, like, just a comedy. Like, this is so bad. And I just – I feel bad because I, I still, you know – you kind of gravitate towards the bond you grew up with and you know for our generation obviously that was pierce brosnan um so like 
I have a soft spot for me. For me, he is James Bond. And yet, when you look at his body of work as James Bond, he has like one and a half good movies as James Bond, and the other, all the rest is garbage. Yeah. So Tomorrow Never Dies is very is watchable, if but not it's, the best. But it's still not as good as Goldeneye. Goldeneye is my favorite yeah. James Bond movie. Goldeneye personally. is Goldeneye is his best one, and then like you said, Tomorrow Never Dies is okay. Like it's it's fine, but then the other two are just. Bleh. Oh, I own this one on Blu-ray because again. It's funny. It's so bad it's funny. Can everybody Sorry, hear Lord. my soul leaving my body over here? Because <laughs> I've, I've like, like, barely seen any of these. I want to reach Jane through Han the screen with uh, smelling salts for Lauren just to bring her back. <laughs> uh, um, I was going to say, he does redeem himself in Mamma Mia, though. That is just for like two of our listeners in the Discord, but... Needless to say, uh, music enjoyers everywhere continue to lose themselves in the moment. They own it. They're never letting it go as Lose Yourself by Eminem continues to hold the top spot on the music charts. Daniel, get us out of here. What else was on? <laughs> At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with Rachel's Phone Number. At 8.30, Scrubs with My Lucky Day. At 9, Will and Grace with the episode The Honeymoon's Over. And at 9.30, Good Morning Miami with If It's Not One Thing, It's a Mother. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, this week's episode had 23.9 million viewers tuning in, directed by our very own Paul McCrane, uh, hey. making his directorial debut, not just on the show where he is doing his first out of nine episodes as a director, but his directorial debut, period. This is the first thing that hey. Paul McCrane ever directs on screen, which, as we know from our interview with him and just, you know, gestures broadly at everything, uh, Paul McCrane is, you know, arguably better known nowadays as a director than he is as a on-screen actor like he is certainly in, in equal measure like he he's very prolific both as a director and as an actor so um it's kind of cool as as flawed and problematic as this episode is it is kind of cool to be seeing the beginning of what has become a very successful career for him as a television director and i will say with how terrible this episode is the directing is on point. Like, everybody nails it. So I have to think some of that is his contribution to how how this was done. Yeah. And I still think it's, like, inc- I mean, we, we've been through this before, too, with, with both Weaver and, and uh, uh, Green. Um, but, like, I do think there is something cool and something probably very... Um, there's a there's a probably a lot of nuance involved of directing a show that you're also currently acting on. Like, there's probably a, a weird line to toe between, like, you know, giving actors notes on things, like, when you're also, like, in the trenches with them acting week to week, you know, on screen. I feel like there's a, a, a weird dynamic there. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel like you would know them pretty well, though, at least. So yeah. You know, and like, their style. Of. Yeah. Right. Know, know the styles. Know, know kind of who needs a, a lighter touch versus, you know, more tough love approach. Like, it's, yeah, I'm sure there's probably a little bit of that, too. Uh, and written by Dee Johnson, doing her 10th out of 19 as a writer. And uh, last time we saw her was the second episode of the season, Dead Again. Uh, and cool. as you might imagine, because he's directing the episode, Romano does not appear this week, and neither does Weaver. Okay. All right. Uh, well, there's a little bit of controversy to start the episode. Our previous on, Lauren and I, after listening to it like five times and cranking the volume up on our TV, we thought it might be Sally Field. But like... I don't. Is, think it, so. is the intro clip here? Is yes. that? Uh, yeah, I, I went ahead and pulled the the clip of just the previously on ER sound bite, just so that we can all listen to it as as a group and come to a consensus. Because my best guess, after listening to it 
several times is I think it's Chen. But uh, we'll we'll listen to it together and decide. Okay. Previously on the R. That's hundred percent Chen. Yeah, that's, that's Chen. Yeah. yeah. We just so. could not hear it well on our actual t- like. No matter what we did, I was. It also didn't help that we were both very distracted. But I was like, Lizzie, play that again. And we no. had a fan running too. Yeah, so. I was like, no, Lizzie, I still didn't hear it. So poor Lizzie was just like, rewind, play, rewind, play, and we were just like, fuck it, it might be Sally Field. Daniel will tell us we're wrong. <laughs> Yesterday was a very weird day, people. <sighs> Anyway, uh, but we actually are going to start our episode with an audio clip here. Uh, Abby, we open with Abby. She hears a crash in her apartment, and there's some snow falling outside. So let's see what's happening there. Where's Mom? You need cable. I broke a bowl. I'm sorry. I'm making scrambled. You want some? No. You got some cheese? Just the stuff in a can. What time is it? Almost five. It's a little early for breakfast, don't you think? Not if it's your last supper. Nothing fresh. I'm not hungry anyway. You need to eat something. He's been up since three. Maybe you should talk to him. Hey. What are you watching? Nothing. Everything. You having trouble falling asleep? Trouble staying that way, actually. Kind of a crappy neighborhood you live in. You want to talk about it? Tell me what's going on. You had me medically discharged and about to check into a loony bin today. What do you think's going on? <clears throat> treatment center. It's one of the best treatment centers in the city, and it's just days. My days. It's been a long trip. The more aggressively we treat this now, the better your chances are. My of- chances. I'm tired. He's tired. We agreed, Eric. When the hell did this become we? When you started having to take Depakote. Is that how it works? Anything over 500 milligrams gets you locked up? Eric. You're lucky you're only 250. It's weight-based. I do like Abby's like inab- inability to like not be pedantic and let it go. Yeah, like where she's just like, mm-hmm. oh, actually, it's weight based. Hey, that sounds familiar. Yeah, right. <laughs> Abby channeling big SCT energy today. It's me not knowing the difference between ringtones and ring back tones in oh, group chat the other day. Meta. Yep. Yep. Just saying. Uh, in this one, I <laughs> I feel Abby. Um. So this is going to be a really complicated episode, and one of our <laughs> listeners actually, yeah, for several reasons, one of our listeners actually helped me. Um, I was I, for once I was reading some of the listener responses in the Discord before the episode. Whoa! Um, and one of our listeners pointed something out that made me empathize with Abby a little bit more in this episode, because I I tend to, in this at least, side. Or at least see where Eric and Maggie are coming from a little bit more mm-hmm. compared to how Abby handles it. Um, yeah. And we'll get into that more, but just the listener helped me see some more of the nuanced stuff throughout this episode. I do have, I do love how he's like, no, you got me discharged and I'm checking into a fucking loony bin. Like, how do you think I'm doing? <sighs> I lost, yeah. lost my job and I have to go to intensive outpatient. For treatment I don't want I'm great he's doing great doing yeah peachy I, I do think like you know like I talked about last episode like 
I felt like last episode did a good job of illustrating that um, Abby wasn't necessarily, like, even though her intentions may have been good, she wasn't necessarily going about things in the right way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this episode does a good job of, I think, bringing the pendulum back a little bit more towards center where, like, you can see, you can truly see both sides of it where, like, yes, there is an element of you can't know truly what he's going through unless you're in it the way that, you know, Maggie and... um, and Eric, you know, both are experiencing it personally. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily invalidate Abby's experiences either. And she doesn't, it doesn't invalidate her ability to feel things about the whole situation. Like, like, yeah. like we'll get into throughout the rest of the episode. Like she has been dealing with this in some, some form or another her entire life. Lots of good audio clips about it. But yeah, so I like, like the writing in the best way they do it. I do go back and forth with kind of where I'm at Mm -hmm. um I don't necessarily and god we're gonna get into this so much more but just off the bat I don't necessarily agree with and I hate to use this word with how kind of aggressive Abby is about the whole thing I understand it's a defense mechanism and I lord knows I've been there but just maybe it's because I see too much of myself in it Mm -hmm. it just puts puts me puts me on edge yeah grinds my teeth a little with that being said, it's been 30 minutes. Do we want to get into the rest of the episode? I mean, it's only been like 15. I know. Sure. I'm I'm being facetious. And I'm being uh, pedantic. What's your point? I love it. It's a normal STT episode. Uh, so then we go into the actual ER and we get Carter examining a little boy. I love this. <laughs> Carter examining a little boy, Timmy, who has a headache. Uh, and it turns out they're, he and his brother are only allowed to play in the yard. So Carter's like, well, what the hell were you guys doing? Like, did you fall and hit your head did you like crash your bike or something and it turns out the older brother says they play gravity the (laughs) fuck's gravity uh he essentially holds um his brother up by his ankles and then drops him to see how long before he hits the ground it's one one second (laughs) this feels like something this feels like something i would have done with my slightly younger cousin like (laughs) <laughs> oh, we we've all done dumb shit like this, but it was oh, just absolutely. it was such a true childhood moment that I was like, oh, it, if we had something that was the anti shitty kids list, these two would make it just because it's so fucking it's wholesome. So, it's so authentic. Like there, I yeah. had a I had a cousin who is like I have a cousin. He's you know he's fine, but like I had a I, had a, I have a cousin who is like a couple of years younger than I think he's like five years younger than me, and he was essentially and he was the youngest of our section of the family generation dynamic like we, we there were cousins and uh, that were much older than us and cousins that were much younger than us but like the little cluster of cousins that were all grouped closely together i was like third in line and he was last in line so like he was <laughs> he was the youngest of the group and we basically for most of his adolescent uh, life treated him like the crash test dummy like he was the one that would get loaded into the laundry basket and pushed down from the top of the stairs. Yep. Like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> he was the one who would get wrestling moves done on him in the uh, swimming pool. Like he was <laughs> this poor kid got put through hell, mostly by me. Uh but uh yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, we we've, we've all done that kind of shit with our cousins. Um and then we see Susan commiserating about Abby being stuck on a train with her family. She's like, no, actually, if it was me, I would have, like, jumped off. She's like, I, she's like, fuck it. I wouldn't have been able to stay on the train. So they took Amtrak back from, um, they took Amtrak back from Omaha. 
Oof, bleak. Holy shit. <laughs> bleak train uh, ride. I did a shorter trip like that down to New or-, or back from New Orleans with my mom and sister, and I actually like them. I can't imagine doing a long train ride with something this tense. Um, I mean, I think also, is Omaha closer? I think it, it might be. I feel I like Omaha is closer to Chicago Omaha than New Orleans. It just it just feels further because it's fucking Omaha. <laughs> right. Like you have to you have to go through Nebraska, which is yeah. uh, That's fair. <sighs> but um, I'm looking it up now. Yeah, the pl- I'm wrong. It's probably closer. I'm, whatever. I I can't be bothered. It just feels further because again, Nebraska. Um, but then we learn that Carrie needs Susan to cover her shift again, so that's why Carrie's not on the episode because she's probably dealing with some uh, first trimester pregnancy stuff. Probably <laughs> sick as hell. My my head uh, my head canon is that they chose to write Laura Innes out of this episode so that she could coach Paul McCrane through directing. That could also be. <laughs> I like it. Um, that's a good one. But Chen is bummed because it means that everyone is busy and can't go out like salsa dancing with her tonight. So the little girls bar club is still going on. Um, and as this is happening, a woman drops a baby off in chairs and runs away. We learn that this uh, baby is less than a year old, an hour old, less than an hour old, I mean, not a year old. Both of those things yes, are true. True. These can be true at once. Um, and Lizzie noticed this. This was a great catch. Uh, this is the old waiting room. There's no triage area. It's not glassed yeah. off. Yeah, what the fuck? This Paul whole McCrane. episode. <laughs> well, I'm blaming Paul McCrane for this entirely. <laughs> well, I, I think, too, they, at least thus far throughout the season, it's not that that area disappeared. It's just that they stopped using it as the like main waiting area and like triage area. Like they had a separate area set up for that that was down the hall. So like it wasn't that this area ceased to exist. It was just they weren't using it in the same way that they had but, been using it in the past. So like I, you know, it, but again, both of these things can be true. But I did I I pedantically disagree with that because the whole point of that was to separate the treatment area from chairs. No, sure. So, like, I've always think, thought it was right there. Right, and I think... Yeah, no, I don't think... I Like, it will become that way eventually, but I, I think we're still in the middle of that transitional period uh, from a set design standpoint. I think mm-hmm. we're... I think by the time we get to next season, I think they will just, like, cut out the middleman and they will just put that spot there. Uh, I guess... I guess I already had, because another... Because otherwise, what's the point? Sure. No, absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, like, in my mind, it, they are one and the same, but uh, I'm sure listeners will fact check us on this one way or another. But I liked that this was, even if it's not a true catch, this was something that I hadn't even put one and one together that it might be weird. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know what? It isn't weird. Or, you know, what else is weird? <laughs> the fact that you're wrong. Uh, in Omaha is only a nine-hour oh, okay. train ride from Chicago versus a seventeen, uh, almost twenty. Yep, I yep. Okay, I fucking know my geography. Great from Nolens. That was a uh, fun any, train ride. Yeah, that sounds like hell to me. No, great. Uh, another, Everybody do it. Anyway, uh, another weird news. We have another twinkle fake out, but in, we are in with the bangs. I don't like it. Getting... So this episode. It gets all three of us. Daniel gets a twinkle fake out. Lizzie has to deal with the transphobia, and I get the Eric and Abby shit. This is a loser all around. Getting you get all 
all equal like, all equal problems. I was say I feel like one of these things is not like <laughs> the other. They're all all on the same level getting, of, of distress. You're getting real penisy there, ER. I'm not I don't like it. Like you're getting real <sighs> real too too fucking cute for your fucking britches there. Like I don't I, I this two weeks in a row twinkle fake out bullshit. I don't like it. Completely valid, Daniel. I hear you. I hear your feelings. Anyway, uh, Abby, Eric, and Maggie are getting a tour of the treatment facility Eric will be checking into, and Abby's really overbearing and tries to give this oh. tries to give the staff member Eric's history, which he says like, "No, it's it's best coming directly from Eric." Well, and you know, we'll talk medications after we talk to this, to Eric. This is one of those examples of doctors make the worst patients. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like Abby is. So so much here she's yeah. like well no this 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 and he's on this medication and will you keep giving him this medication and you know this really may not like you you need to do this and it's just like abby you got him into this program you think it's the best let it be the best right. shut up yeah i'm i'm sorry i'm really i i love abby on a whole but like i said I understand where she's coming from, but she just gets on my nerves so much this episode. Yo, no, yeah, I, I, I have never, I have never sympathized with the Abby haters more than I have in this particular scene. Like mm-hmm. this, this, mm-hmm. and it's not even the whole episode. It's really just this scene that really irks my nerves. Where I was just like, Abby, shut up! Like you're, you are killing me here. Like I cannot take it. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, but uh, we get our first of uh, several Oh Hey It's That People this episode. The therapist here, uh, played by actor Jeffrey DeMunn, who appears in stuff like The Green Mile, The Mist, and The Blob. Apparently just appears in stuff with the in the front of the title uh, exclusively. Uh, he has 119 credits to his name. I recognized him most directly from uh, the first X-Files movie, uh, where he is uh, one of the like government scientists who gets infected with the black oil. So... Shout out to this Ooh. guy. Also, is this show called The ER now? It has to be if this guy's here. Obviously. Uh, but we then go back to the ER. Uh, we see Carter, Chen, and Harkins working on the newborn. Uh, Harkins do- making her first of uh, several charming comments throughout the episode that really endear her to the audience and really make me wish that she stuck around longer than she did. Again, I'm being facetious. I kind of wish she died in a volcano instead. Uh, Harkins uh, is talking <sighs> shit about the uh, girl who, uh, the mother who dropped off the baby. Like This I- whole fucking episode, she is the worst. And it's one of those weird, and I guess you can do that with these like minor characters who, you know, they they kind of they're not really intended to you know be the focus of the story at any point and they're not really um they're not going to stick around for very long so you can you have a little bit more like leeway with what you can do with them but it did feel like a strange sort of like pivot on her character to suddenly make her the most self-righteous like because she's just she just sucks this whole episode from beginning to end and like i don't feel like we've gotten any insight into her character before now that would lead us to think she would behave this way and you know I don't know. It just—I really did not like her this episode. Um, but uh, we then uh, get our first big trauma of the episode coming in: uh, the father and daughter being brought in uh, after uh, a motor vehicle accident. Uh, the father is—he's uh, being offloaded off the ambulance, and just as they're doing that, just as they're bringing the gurney down, they have to turn him uh, because he's puking. Ugh. And they really—they really went really went for it with the puke effects. 
Abs just so, so much. Yeah, not great. Uh, as you might imagine, he's suffering from some blunt force trauma. Can't stop heaving. He's got blood and urine in his pants. Uh, his uh, We learned that his daughter Morgan is being brought in in the ambulance right behind him. Uh, and uh, his daughter's name is Morgan. That becomes important as we go along. Uh, and Mr. Brenner here is played by actor Brian McNamara, who appears in stuff like Army Wives, NCIS, and is weirdly enough the first of two arachnophobia alums in this episode. Uh, weird how those things work out sometimes, that you can have like a random fucking movie from the 80s that uh, has, I guess arachnophobia was early 90s, but uh, you can have two two random people from a, a movie, you know, appearing in the episode together. Um, and he had a hundred or has 136 credits to his name. And I believe that makes him the high watermark uh, actor for this episode. Fun times. Uh, we go over to dad's trauma and Lauren. Uh, God, this, these are just getting worse and worse on when the fuck I can do them. You guys remember when it was early on and it would be like, well, no, there was never a good time. <laughs> there was but never still. This, they're just getting worse and worse in the episodes I'm picking them in. But I guess whose films are those? Like, I, eh. not God's, because God has abandoned this episode. Dad <laughs> uh, <laughs> is mumbling something related to Morgan's mom, and Lizzie comes down to tell him they need surgery, and he does not want anyone to call his wife, his or his estranged wife. I don't know if they're yeah, still. Yeah, might be ex, but. But yeah. Doesn't want doesn't want anyone to call him Morgan's mom. Yeah, I IMDb can't decide because he says that he says that they're estranged, um, and then later in the episode when she does finally arrive, the different na- last the, name the right? name that's given is a different last name, and I couldn't quite make out what the name was. And then when, and and they mentioned stepdad, right? Yeah. And they mentioned stepdad. And when when I went to go do the cast notes for the episode, they do credit her as Mrs. Brenner. So, which is wrong. wrong. So, like, I don't. Even the show can't seem to decide whether they're actually divorced and she's remarried or not. I think, yeah, I think the estrangement is more talking about like the fact that she's out of Morgan's life, right? But um, with that being said, Pratt and Harkins are working on Morgan in the next trauma room, and Morgan's like, "Is my dad okay? Where are they taking him?" and Pratt goes, oh, they're just taking him for some tests. They want to check on stuff. And Harkins on the corner goes, no, I think they're taking him to surgery. And Pratt just looks at her like, what the fuck, lady? Pratt, this episode, gets a gold star. I'm I was just going to say, say that yeah, right now. He, he is a good boy this episode. This is actually, I think, one of the best like Pratt development episodes we've had mm-hmm. since he's been on the show. Like, I feel like this would have been akin to, like, how Malucci would have handled it. I feel like if we're talking about characters who need development and need to be good boys, I feel like Malucci would have been in the same situation where it's like... And based on his history, like, that we learned, like, I feel like this could have actually been a low-key great Malucci episode, like, Malucci learned something episode. Like, because I feel like his knee-jerk reaction would have been to react like Harkins, and I feel like we could have found a like that I could see there being a way where like he fi- he he learned something about himself by the end of the episode like mm-hmm. that the alternate universe yep sorry to make it about malucci but yeah pratt is very good this episode and i appreciate his efforts fun times uh so we go to our next audio clip here uh, eric is in his first group and abby and maggie are observing look for images that best describe your feelings during the hypomanic phases of your illness. Hey, does anybody have a Viagra? Kidding. 
We find that this exercise really helps them to identify the seductive side of their mania. Seems so simple. Has to be in the beginning. They are used to chaos, to acting on their impulses. This allows them to move into a world of structure and self-discipline. He'll adapt. Obviously, you did. See you this afternoon. Thanks, Doctor. You ready? I guess. Something wrong? No. Mom. You think this is the right facility for him? Okay. How'd I know that was coming? Not saying it's not, but seeing it. Seeing what they're making him do. Okay, the collages are stupid. That's only one part of the therapy. It'd be great if he was 10 years old. Well, emotionally, it pretty much is. No, he's not. Okay, 15 then. I know how he feels like we're trying to take away his personality, the thing he likes about being well, here. Which is also the thing that is destroying him. What if he does it independently, sees a psychiatrist, gets a job, tries to learn how to deal with that this would on be his great. own? How do you keep him on his meds? You can't force meds or this so-called therapy down your <laughs> so brother's throat if he's not therapy. ready for it. It won't work. Oh, and you know what will. Why do you do that? We're not talking about me. Why do you always shove it in my face? Because you keep insisting that you're the expert, that you know best. Maybe this once I do. You know, you are not exactly cured, and he needs someone stable to help get him through this. I'm his mother. Oh, Come on, you've been in and out of hospitals for the past 30 years. You're not anybody's mother. I, I'm sorry. I, I can't. I can't. I can't. I, again, I see too much of me in her right now with where I was with my dad when I was like 16. But I, I can't. Mm. Just. Mm. What a line. There's just a lot going on here. What a fucking line. Like, ooh. Yeah. With that being said, let's let's back up a little because holy shit, I'm like, you guys can see how high my shoulders are into my fucking ears. <laughs> um, how do we feel about how they discuss the IOP treatment and kind of like where they have to start him at? Because I understand you've got to crawl before you can walk. Like I get where they're like, okay, we got to really start at basics and ease them in before we absolutely like get into the tell me why you're like this. Mm -hmm. But also... Yeah, it's a bit much. I feel like it's... I mean, that's that's basically been my experience with the intensive outpatient yeah. programs. I, I didn't want to out you directly, Lizzie, if you didn't want to talk it's about whatever. it. We all, we all know I have a history of mental health problems. And if you don't, hey, welcome to the party. Now you, do, now you do know. <laughs> welcome to season nine. Yeah, welcome to season nine. Lizzie is, has, really, has very bad anxiety and depression disorders. Hooray! We love you. Um, that have went long... Bleh that have landed me in intensive outpatient programs in hospitals before. Um, they are not fun. They are very weird. Mm. They are kind of a, kind of a, I'm trying to think of how to, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's like day, they, they've always kind of felt like daycare for mentally ill people. But yeah, I could see that where it's like, it's main, it's kind of like, you're not going to get a full check-in to a psych ward necessarily, but yeah. you need some structure while you get through the absolute worst of crisis right. where it's, it's not necessarily going to be a cure-all, but it's at least potentially 
going to give you something to do for yeah. a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. It's not quite essential. Like it's not quite like an inpatient thing, which is essentially jail for for psych patients. But and it it is just as fun as it sounds. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's. I I found that they were valuing me having me do something, yeah, and giving me a little just structure of just going there, knowing what to expect when I go there, and having a very predictable schedule when my brain was being being a bitch, uh, being a big old bitch, and I'm proud of you for going. I'm just gonna but say like the that actual again. like content of the stuff. I always was like, why am I doing this? Really, why am I here? So, yeah, I don't know. I kind of sympathize with Eric in this, especially when you're at your worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I find it strange that Maggie is so like um, surprised by what they're having him do as you would assume that Maggie has been through something similar and would probably know the drill and would probably know kind of what to expect from the early stages of a, a program I... like this. I think that might be a situation where she's seeing herself in it too. Yeah. And like, she knows how she's been like, Oh, this is a waste of time. Why am I here? And like she says, he feels like they're stripping away everything that makes him him right now Mm -hmm. because he's so deep in it. So like, of course she's going to be like, no, this is not fun. This is, this does not feel productive. Like her, the, the impulse is to just run from it. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's just, I feel badly for I feel badly for all of them, but I I mm-hmm. you know, and I feel like this is a little bit of like I feel like this is like the uh, the apex of Abby being wrong and Abby being like dismissive of Maggie's lived experience because like I feel like this is where you start to see a little bit of the tide start to turn a little bit where Maggie starts to make some more salient points and like we we start to really like. By the end of the episode, I feel like there's going to be a much more equal footing between, like, Mm -hmm. just because Abby might have a point doesn't mean that Maggie and Eric aren't, you know, are wrong and vice versa. Like, there's both of these both of these parties here have the best of intentions and and have like have valid points to make. Both things can be true. Yeah. Which is what this episode should have been called, except (laughs) both things can be true, except for Harkins. (laughs) That's what this episode should be called. Oh, with that being said, we go back to the ER and the baby is looking nice and stable. Connie, Connie, yay. Connie and Chen are kind of fussing over him, which I find adorable. Also, hi, Connie. Um, And then Susan is looking for Luca as Gallant is going over patient history with her. And she's like, I'm I'm not even your your person. You should be telling Luca this. Where the fuck is he? Um, and there's a woman who comes in with constant vomiting. Her name is Melody, and she comes in with her boyfriend. Yes, and uh, Melody here is uh, played by actress Elaine Bromka, who appears in stuff like Law & Order, Days of Our Lives, and I recognized her as the uh, nervous mom character from uh, one of my favorite uh, John Candy movies, Uncle Buck, uh, where she is the, like, she's, uh, Uncle Buck is a great movie. Uncle Buck is totally worth your time. Uh, such... I, I, John Candy is one of those actors who like the fact that he's gone now like it's it's just like Robin Williams like anytime I see him in anything I get both simultaneously super happy and super sad at the same time like 
Love that yeah. man so much, it almost brings me to tears. Like, yeah. love John Candy. Uncle Buck is a great movie. Um, and the boyfriend here is uh, played by actor Carl Weintraub, who appeared in stuff like Beverly Hills Cop, uh, did a voice in Oliver and Company, and uh, one of Lizzie's uh, favorite trash movies from the 90s, Air Force One. Hey, it's not trash. It's good dad. It's good dad action fun. It's, 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 you know. Get off my plane, Daniel. What more do we really need to say? Exactly. Uh, so Lizzie is getting Mr. Brenner ready for surgery, and it turns and she's kind of going over everything. And just basically, they need to fix everything. Dude, dude's messed up. They need to go in and fix everything. <laughs> Diagnosis fucked. Yep. Uh, and we learned that his wife left Morgan and Mr. Brenner because she, quote, couldn't be there for Morgan. <laughs> Transphobic. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. In case you guys didn't know. She's she's transphobic piece of shit. Sorry, I have a bit of a cough. Um, yeah. My apologies for that. Um, and then Luca comes in with a little old lady with a broken hip. Her name is Matilda, and I love her. It's a great name. Uh, Matilda here is uh, played by actress Mary Carver, who is our second of two Arachnophobia alums in this episode. Uh, she also appeared in Simon and Simon, the TV series, uh, as well as The Rockford Files. This is pretty much her last on-screen role. Um, she... Uh, does appear in a short film uh but it so she passes away in 2013 the short film is not released until 2013 uh and of course with it being a short film doesn't you know it's not like it came out in movie theaters or anything like that so i'm saying that this is basically her last like uh official on-screen thing that was like widely available to the public so r.i.p oh boy here we go uh Pratt is carrying Morgan to another bed in curtains or one no, of the in exam the, rooms. Yeah, one of the exam rooms. My bad. Excuse, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, Morgan has to use a restroom and they give her a bedpan because she's really, she really needs to go like right now, right now. And so she doesn't think she can make it to the actual bathroom. Um, so they give her a bedpan and close the door and then she drops the bedpan. So they're like, oh shit. You know, what if she hurt herself? Even she- though she says everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Yep. And Harkins just barges right back in. Like, and, go ahead, finish. Even though she clearly says, don't. Like, Harkins knocks and says, Morgan, I'm coming in. Morgan says, no, don't. And then she opens the door. And it's like, okay, what's the fucking point of knocking? And Morgan and Morgan finds out. I mean, uh, I'd probably say, pre- um, excuse me. You'll get there. There, excuse me. And Harkins finds out, oh, look, Morgan has a penis. And what's her phraseology here, Lizzie? Oh my god, you're a boy. Piece of shit. <laughs> Sorry. Jet I, wanna, I really want to clip that out. Just have a, Go for have it. A Lauren, I'll allow have it. a Lauren drop that's just piece of shit. <laughs> people, genitals do not define your gender. For the love of Christ. Doesn't matter what age you are. Your genitals do not define your gender identity. Gender is not a construct, or gender is a construct and sex is not a binary. There you go. There's so much. There's so much that tells us these things. Like if it's if it's true for other animals in the world, it can be true for humans too. Like yeah, just uh, just uh. Is this people? I'm people suck. Not not that we've not that we keep like an exhaustive uh you know reference on this or anything, but is this the first time that that transgender uh, issues have been used as a main plot point since nope. season one? Oh. 
like since that that episode in season one because like, yeah i suppose as a main plot point i mean obviously we had that super transphobic four corners episode but that wasn't like a main plot point because there was no main plot to that fucking episode oh oh sucked. yeah the jerry springer the jerry, the jerry springer, springer, one. Yeah, jerry springer yeah, one yeah no. yeah i suppose you could make the argument for that but like i feel like this is the first time that that is it has been used since yep. we are confidential back in season one um as a true 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 point. main plot point and like yeah obviously there's been tons of turnover like both on screen and behind the scenes in that time um and you know we we talked that was one of the first like really hard episodes to do like that was one of the first episodes that was like really tough to to talk about both in terms of like just subject matter and the nuance involved because like we talked about how like up to that point pretty much any depiction of transgender people on screen was basically like the crying game and it was basically used mm-hmm. as a punchline or boys don't cry or it's ultra ultra uh, tr- uh, traumatic yeah yep. so like it, it was used kind of as a as a, a gag or like a, a shock value thing and, and the one bit of credit we did give to that episode was that they didn't necessarily treat it that way even if they you know the we wish that the characters behaved differently like the Carter. the depiction of it was at least a little bit better than what you'd expect and I, I was curious like as I was watching this like have they learned anything from that episode to getting you, to this episode because you I don't know I don't know is what I landed on you you would think Carter would have but he's one of the worst in this episode yeah be like oh I saw a transgender I saw a trans woman kill herself right yeah that's because people were invalidating her identity and that's and that's one of those things that i feel like in a modern obviously modern you know attitudes and things you know would have been handled differently anyway but just in terms of a structure i feel like in a modern 13 episode a season type of world you might stand a better chance of getting kind of character continuity callbacks like that but Mm. when you're when when a storyline like that gets lost in the shuffle of a 20 20 to 25 episode a season order over nine years like that was yeah. a, that was a little teeny tiny raisin of a blip like of course it's huge to us but if you're talking about like character bible as a whole back then like they're like oh yeah we did the one trans yeah whatever. like i just don't most of the people who were involved in writing that episode other than john wells are long That's gone true. you know so like I don't think they're thinking about but, that when they're writing this episode. But I'll just say, from a character standpoint, it frustrates the hell out of me that Carter's not more understanding. Sure. No, absolutely. Yeah. I would. I would oh, but because it's a child, children have no concepts. Children shouldn't be thinking about. It's too early. Yeah, whatever. Support trans children, people, for the love of motherfucking and, God. And reminder, supporting trans children does not mean letting them have surgery when they're eight. It means... Yeah. Uh, being there listening uh potentially doing puberty blockers when they're in when they're in their teens getting Um, them therapy getting them like taking them to affirming therapy professionals yes which she does say in this uh, in the episode that her dad you know is yeah supportive of her but like you know that like is clearly advocating for her but is also like she knows what she wants but she won't be pursuing it until she's an adult like yeah. she she's yeah. like when i'm old enough i'm going to go get surgery like she's like yeah. you know this 
again, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm trying to like sift through the shit here and find the the one mm-hmm. little pearl of like. Oh no, it's absolutely Morgan and her father are done great. They are exactly how this should be handled from like a parent child perspective. Lizzie, correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're right. And like, they're great. Morgan as a character is presented not as a punchline, but as a sympathetic figure, which is why I can deal with this a little bit. Um, So, like, it's not the show, like, treating them as a punching bag in a punchline kind of way. It's more, hey, look how fucked up this is that nobody else is seeing. Right. It's a very... And that's why I hesitate to throw the baby out with the bathwater with this episode. Like, I, I hesitate to just write this episode off as, oh, it's just bad. Right. Because no, because it's 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 nuance. It, it's nuance. It's difficult. It is an incredibly yeah. difficult episode to watch. Um, but I don't think. And, and while I, I wish there was a more full throated effort by a character, like the closest we yeah. get is Pratt. Pratt, and and even his defense is very like milk toast. Like it's very like yeah. surface level. Like hey, maybe don't you know? But like he doesn't really like go for it he doesn't full he doesn't further advocate right he does not advocate above the bare minimum um so like while i wish there was more of that in there i do feel like it is a very nuanced and i also feel like it is i hate to say this but like i feel like it is sort of the best you can expect from the time you know like we're still in the early 2000s here and like we're they're barely as a society america's barely wrapping its mind around gay people will and grace like you know did, yeah, did wonders for gay awareness. Yeah, we're st- we're still like a few years away from gay marriage oh, being we're, legalized we're, in the United States. We're more than States. a decade. <laughs> we're more than a decade. It's still more fucks. Than a dec- I, it was, I thought it was, it was in, like 2008. That was that was 2008 California. for some states. California yeah. was one of the okay, biggest ones that started the the kind of the tide to turn. But My it bad. was 2014-15 was when it finally was Supreme Court. You know. Ruling I was that. out of college when that was done. Yeah. yeah. So you know what? So like like I was no I I don't think that's right. Daniel was correct. It was 2015 Fuck. when the Supreme yeah. Court when the Supreme Court uh, Oberfe- o- Oberschfell versus Hodge versus Hodges. Lizzie, yeah, we had been dating for three years. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's what more, more I've been transitioning for three months al- for four months already. It's more recent than you think. But like I I was uh, so yes, you know, like I said, I, there's there's several reasons why I hesitate to just completely dismiss the episode mm-hmm. as a whole. But like I think it is it is undoubtedly trauma porn. Let's just put it that way. Like it's it is undoubted oh, it is yeah. undoubtedly trauma porn, and in like it is it is trauma for the sake of trauma. Like watching this, but. I do think that it is probably, you know, a very realistic, no punches pulled depiction of how a lot of these situations played out, you know, back, not only back then, but also still today. Like, you know, where you have one parent or the other that is, uh, you know, supportive and the other is resisting it at every, every turn. Or the government. Or the government. Protect yeah. trans kids. Protect trans families. Right. Guys, uh, vote, um, donate, whatever. I'm ugh, This whole episode, fuck. Um, Daniel, with that being said, do we want to yeah. carry on <laughs> I mean, while Lizzie's dissociating on her phone not, for a bit? Not really, because it continu- it, it just continues to get worse. Uh, because we then go to Pratt and Harkins discussing Morgan after Morgan. Because that... The one thing I, the, I mean, well, not the one thing, but the the most the most <laughs> recent thing that I hate about this episode is, is that as Harkins' line there, 
is used as like a stinger to take us into a commercial break. Like it is used as like a oh my god shock yeah bah, cliffhanger cliffhanger and then we come back from commercial to Pratt and Harkins discussing Morgan. Plenty more problematic language thrown around uh, in about fifteen seconds. Uh, Pratt finally goes in to talk to Morgan, and this is again like I wish if especially if Pratt is going to be our like shining light this episode, if he's going to be the like the voice of reason, I would prefer that he would have a little bit more delicate language. Because he, yep. he really does just do the bare minimum this episode. Yep. And it still com- makes him come out smelling like a rose because he's so far ahead of everybody else's regressive attitude. Um, he at least bothers to ask, right. which we'll get to. But, but so he goes in to talk to Morgan. He says, what's the deal? Why are you going around dressed like a girl? Maybe because, as, as she points out here, she says, because I am one. I'm in the wrong body. Uh she, you know, her dad's been moving them around so that she could have a fresh start and, you know, live as, as a girl. Mom doesn't agree with it. And uh, she says that she thinks I'm a freak just like you do. And I, I should also point out, too, like we, we touched on this a little bit, that, like, the portrayal of Morgan is excellent. Like, it's it's one of the best yes. parts of the episode. This and, and to the best of my sleuthing, what I could figure out, like, the, the young actress who's playing Morgan here is not... Uh, she did not stick with acting as a career, at least not on, at least not uh, on screen. Maybe she does stage stuff, but like right. her IMDb is very short. This is one of only three credits that she had to her name, and it was all between the years of like 2000 and 2002. So like she only did this for about two or three years. Um, well, she's fucking brilliant. But and to the to the nearest of my like assertions, like to to what I can to can figure out, I think she is a you know cisgendered woman and mm-hmm. like uh, so like and that's another thing like we, we've talked we've touched on this with like disabled actors and like straight people playing gay people and like non-transgender people playing transgender people like there there's there's a level of nuance that i think is missing from stuff from this time period that wouldn't be nowadays like you know like you're seeing with like last of us well the character is the, the i don't know last of us as well but like is the character transgender in last of us or is it just the actress who's non-binary uh, actress is non-binary. Okay, but so like, yeah. but still, but yeah, like there's a level of nuance and a level of like attention to character detail nowadays that you just like, like they've said many times. Like I think we talked talked about this with uh, I think it was Paul McCrane or maybe a John Levy. I can't remember at this point, but like, like they just weren't thinking about these things. Like the the, the thought mm-hmm. never crossed their mind. Like the thought never, which you know isn't an excuse, but it is a reality that like they just weren't thinking about these kind of things. And I think it was Paul McCrane. I just think that she um, manages to capture a tremendous amount of internal, um, you know, trauma, just like and also, strife. Like she just, it's written all over this little girl's face. Self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> that old thing of like, oh, you're older than you seem. Yeah, that's trauma. Like that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> that, that is that is truly what's happening with this girl here and it is so heartbreaking to watch but it's such a a tremendous performance as well so kudos to this girl um pratt tells harkins not to do anything another thing that don't call them another thing that becomes important later uh uh, but they're interrupted when leon shows up asking for speaking of things that people didn't want in this episode uh leon shows up asking for pratt uh says that he got kicked out and fired from his job so we will find out more about that as we go along. Uh, and then we see Carter and Abby out in the ambulance bay grabbing some coffee. 
Uh, go back over to Matilda explaining how she hoped the mailman would hear her. Uh, she and then she just crashes out of nowhere. And Susan, they're like, "Wait, what? What is? What's causing this? Wait, wait, what's causing this?" So Susan tests her gag reflex, and then she immediately wakes up, and she was like, <laughs> I was "Having a nice rest until this bitch tried to choke me." I I love it so much. I love her. She is she is just the right amount of not necessarily levity, but of light for this episode mm-hmm. like without heavy everything else yeah her sass is like just what we need to kind of even it out um and i love how susan's like well that's nice uh but then a man shows up wanting to check on his mom and this is uh melody's son and clearly the son and the boyfriend do not get along like based off what we see mm. here the son here, Jeremy, uh, he is played by actor Dave Power, who appears in stuff like For All Mankind, Pee-wee's Big Holiday, and the canonical ER movie, U571. And then uh, we go over to Carter and Abby at Doc's, and she says she's taking full ownership of Eric's treatment, having Eric stay with her while he's an IOP. So he's like, she's like, no, he's going to stay with me. I'm going to make sure he's on his meds. I'm going to make sure he goes to treatment every day. I'll pick him up after work. I'll change my shifts. It'll be fine. And Carter's like, you know, you're taking all this on by yourself. Why don't you share some of the responsibility with Maggie? Like, you don't have to do this alone. Is is that what he's suggesting? Because I don't know that he, like, he, I don't know that he specifically says Okay, you're Maggie. right. He, he doesn't, but and Abby goes like, what, am I supposed to go with Maggie on this? So you're right. Based, on, based on the sad boy look that he gives when she pivots to Maggie and like You're Maggie's right. disaster. I think this was another example of him trying to play white knight and him trying to be like, well, I can help you with that. Like yeah. it was. And like when she doesn't take the bait, you can see it on his face where he's like, mm, well, all right, sorry. I asked. Like, he's just so like, you know, uh, I could fix this. <sighs> but then uh, Abby unpacks more trauma about their childhood and Maggie leaving them regularly. She's like, yeah, you know, We'd wake up, and one of the first things we'd check was if Mom had left us in the middle of the night, and I would have to tell Eric everything would be fine, and he'd call me a liar. Like, so just saying that it is part of it that's distressing her is the shift from us versus Mom to now she's lost what she considers kind of her only understanding ally in that experience, as if him getting sick completely erases all that. Mm-hmm. So... Oh, so again, I get it. Like she's she's stressed out about that. She's just like, what does this mean for my relationship with Eric? What does this mean for like our having grown up together this way? All of it. Just understandably upset. And this is where you kind of start to, like Daniel said, the pendulum swings a little bit. And you're like, okay, this is why she's trying so hard to control the situation. Because he's her baby brother and she's always tried to take care of him as if he was her own. And then... Oh no, Mr. Brenner is clearly not doing well up in surgery and after like 30 seconds of them trying to revive him that we see, they uh, they call it. Hmm. Fun fuck. times. Fuck, fuck, fuck. All right, and then uh, Luca's wheeling Matilda into a waiting area before she's sent for surgery and she's talking about, oh, being a spinster and a lonely heart and she says she was no more lonely than many of the married people she knew. Because remember, the straights are not okay. Ever. Clearly. Mm. Then we see uh, Yosh and Susan talking about some uh, current patients. Uh, Carrie has, uh, we learned Carrie has called in to tell her to take over the finance meeting at two. 
and uh, I believe it's Gallant who comes down the hall yelling yeah. for her, and, and, you know, Dr. Lewis. And she's like, I love this moment of introspection from her where she's like, I used to think it would be so cool to hear Dr. Lewis. Like, think about season one, Susan fucking looking at where she is now and being like, God damn right. it. So eager to, to achieve and get ahead and please and everything. And then I, I, I'm very here for season nine, tired Susan. Like, tired yeah. Susan is good. Um, the woman who was vomiting had high levels of aspirin in her blood, so not great there. We'll find out more about what's going on there in just a bit. Uh, Chen and Connie are trying to name the abandoned baby. Uh, Susan uh, checks in with her teal text pager. Okay, I'm sorry. This thing makes me so happy every time I see it. We've already talked about why, but I love the little. <laughs> if we've learned nothing, if we've pager. learned nothing in the last uh, week or two, it's that there's nothing that Lauren appreciates more than regressive phone technology, like <laughs> anything. Uh, fuck you. This is the phone of the future, Daniel. Thank you very much. For anybody who's not, I got a fucking flip phone with a screen on the Jeez. front. It's cool. <laughs> razor, baby. It basically razor. answers the question: What if a stack of post-it notes was a brick? Like that's and it's great. Uh, and then uh, Lizzie is looking for Morgan to uh, ostensibly break the news about uh, her father. Uh, Harkin says that Pratt is on break, and uh, Carter chimes in here and says, uh, "Well, just call the mother; she's next to kin." Thanks. Yeah, I'm overriding. Thanks, this. Carter. Call the mother. Thanks, Carter. Uh, and uh, in case you needed a reminder that it was 2002, they refer to Morgan as a transsexual, uh, which even I've heard that term used even by well-meaning people. Uh, and, you know, PSA, it's it's better than some others, but it's not the one like it's. <laughs> yeah, it's outdated by today's terms. But back in the early early aughts. It was, yeah, it was that was the best you could it's, hope for. Also, apologies for my neighbor. upstairs neighbor being super loud. <sighs> anyway, uh, Abby goes to get Eric. Uh, turns out he withdrew from the program. Fun. Great. Uh, Maggie came and got him about an hour ago. Uh, and then Pratt is going to talk to Leon's boss about what happened. And turns out someone got into Leon's boss's store with with a key. And maybe Leon did it or his friends tricked him. We know his friends are bad news. <laughs> Yeah. Does Already, anyone care? Like, it's not really. But like, that's we just we know things. I don't it's know. like it's yeah. like someone has a post-it note that is like, uh, you know, Pratt's story with Leon, and like they keep losing it, and they keep covering it up with more important storylines, and then someone finds it on the writer room fridge, and then they're like, oh shit, we need to follow up on that. Like, we we should do more with that. And then they do it, and then it goes back on the fridge. Like, it's just, like, no one cares enough about this storyline to, like, keep fleshing it out. And it's so, like, every once in a while, they'll just be like, oh, yeah, that thing. It's still not great. There's not really a point. if any... If any of you are actually fans of the Leon storyline, please let us know, because I would love to be proven wrong. I have yet to meet Um, one. I'm just saying. Uh, But then, oh, God, Morgan's mom has been brought in. Ugh! She is told about Mr. Brenner dying, and she's like, oh, fuck, that sucks. Like, just a little remorseful about it, fine. And it's been three years since she's seen Morgan. Because why support your kid when you can just abandon them? Um, And I think it's Carter Mm. who's talking to her. And he's like, are you aware that he's been living as a girl? Constant use of wrong pronouns in this whole conversation is like nails on a chalkboard. 
again, fine, maybe benefit of the doubt. They didn't know. No, they knew better. They just, because because she's a child, they're choosing to ignore that. Because um, they were even kind of bad about misgendering back in season one. Was it Benton that got it right after after she corrected him? I think him? so. I feel like it was. But either way, Carter's always been a piece of shit and has never used right pronouns. Fuck Carter. Um, and then Morgan is clearly not thrilled, a.k.a. horrified to see Mom, especially when Carter gives the news about Dad. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And uh, Mom here, <laughs> Mother of the Year, is... Uh played by not, okay let me let's get this out of the way first and then i want to touch on one other thing uh mom is played by actress judith hogue who appeared in stuff like armageddon uh the mom in halloween town for people of a certain age uh and uh for me for my age she is the superior april o'neill in the teenage mutant ninja turtles movie the best one from 1990 she was april o'neill 1.0 uh before she got unjustly recast uh in not the awful one you made us make made us watch. Uh, yes not not that one she she does not appear in that one but she does have 110 credits to her name uh and one other bit of like minor bit of like flowers that i will give this storyline mm-hmm. is that i feel like it was an inspired choice if not a maybe a slightly difficult one for a network tv show to for a storyline like this to cast the father as the supportive parent and yes. have the mother be the monster uh because i feel like on a, any other like on, on a lot of network sh- tv shows of its caliber i feel like it would have been a very easy lazy portrayal to have the mother be the sympathetic one and have the father be the unemotional asshole uh who you know does refuses to accept their transgender child uh so yeah. a little bit of nuance and a little bit of like Okay, you get some points for that for depicting what I'm sure for a lot of transgender children is a very real lived experience of having, you know, their mother be the one that's a shit fucker. Like, and, you know, having their dad actually be the one that is very supportive, despite what, you know, conventional wisdom would have you expect. Yep. Um, I'm just going to completely skip this next patient because he doesn't fucking matter. And then uh, Luca goes to check on Matilda and. She's like, oh, you don't even have to try with women, do you? Like, just giving him a hard time about how much of a ladies' man he is, which I adore. All he has to roll up and sit, uh, roll up and do... Uh, the accent. Uh, all, he has to, all he has to do is roll up and say, Luka Kovac. <laughs> yep. I love how she's like, how do you pronounce that? Kovac? <laughs> He's like, oh, Kovac. Kovac. Um, but then she wants to leave him a tip because she has more money than she needs with no kids, cats, or anything to spend it on, and she's been very frugal. So he's like, whatever. So he takes, he humors her and at least takes it just so she thinks he's going to cash it, whatever. And uh, as they're walking out of the room, Harkins asks if a patient can really do that. And Susan's like, oh, gross, you took money from a patient? And he's like, I'm not going to cash it, you know, whatever. And they're, don't you want to see what it's worth first before you say that? And he's like, Ugh. and then she, op- uh, Harkins opens it up and it's for 10 grand. And Luca's like, huh. Ten grand buys a lot of Uh, sex workers there, Luca. I mean, we'll see. Hey, spoilers (laughs) for the end of the episode. Uh, But then Gallant and Susan are talking about uh, Melody, the woman who is constantly vomiting. And Susan thinks it might be Manchhausen's until Gallant uh, looks through, has looked, until Gallant explains the injuries in her chart um, and the, the 
consistent pattern that leads to it likely being abuse. Cool. Cool. Just keeps getting Speaking better, of, guys. Speaking of things that also aren't great, let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, Maggie and Abby are having a fun chat in Abby's apartment. I tried to call. What's the matter with you? He doesn't want to do it this way. He doesn't? You don't. Where is he? Abby, the only way someone with this disease gets better is if they want to. Oh, what? So until then, we just wait it out? Is that it? No, I didn't say that. Well, then what are you saying, Mom? What's the plan here? Does he even have one? Do you have one? We're going back to Minnesota in the morning. What? No, you're not. Do you have any idea how many strings I had to pull to get him into that center? He'll live with me. I'll get him to see my psychiatrist at least once a this week. This is a proven program. I'll keep him on his meds if I can. If you can! I realize this is hard for you to understand. No, it's impossible, actually. I love him, too. So what? I know you think you're the only one that's ever been there for either of us, and maybe that's true. No, that is true. All right, but Abby, I'm here now. Where is he? So the fun times continue in the Lockhart household. I love the point Maggie makes. She's like, yeah, I fucked up, but I'm here now. Yeah. Like, I want to make things right now and do right by him now that I'm able to. Hmm. But. She's trying. Right. Let me just say, as someone who lives here, uh, Minnesota in December, no fucking picnic. Like, <laughs> maybe she's going to freeze the bipolar out of him. Like, Jesus Christ. Just stick him out right. in the snowdrift for six hours. Thaw him out in the spring. He'll be fine. Ugh. Uh. Then we go over to uh, Chen talking to the uh, peds nurse about how the uh, abandoned baby is doing. Uh, they're in the same room as the uh, the vomiting patient, Melody, and she just you know she's like, "I've been sharing a room with this you know baby for hours. I just would like to see his face, you know." And they it's so cute. <laughs> They talk about whether or not the baby's ever gotten a name and yada, yada, yada. And then uh, Susan comes in to check on Melody, asks how she's feeling and how she's doing with her boyfriend because they're obviously uh, expecting or, or suspecting abuse at this point. Uh, and then we do like a, oh, swerve, uh, because she's like, well, I can't turn him into the police. He's joining the Navy in a couple of days. He'll be gone. And that's when we learn that it's actually the son who's doing the abuse and not the boyfriend. And I'm sorry, but this feels like a swerve for the sake of a swerve. Like this, this has no narrative value to me whatsoever. This does not move my emotional needle. This was just like, oh, we should have a twist here. And so they, they did one. I will say it does raise a good point that even parents can be victims of abuse. I guess, so, yeah. Well, yes, I feel like here it might just be a swerve for the sake of a swerve. I do appreciate a little bit that they switch it up just because, you know, again, parents can be victims of abuse for their from their grown children just as easily. Yeah. So. Uh, and then uh, we see Harkins giving Pratt an update on all his patients now that he's back from dealing with the Leon situation. And he rightfully freaks out that they called mom uh, because he explicitly told her not to. Uh, and then we get probably the most upsetting up scene of the entire episode uh, as uh, she uh, Pratt goes into uh, the exam room to check on Morgan and finds mom cutting her hair because, quote, stepdad will never accept him that way. And, you know, this is heartbreaking on a number of levels, but it's, uh, again, the performance is excellent. Um, Pratt, the eyes, the, the eyes on, on Morgan are haunting. Like, 
just haunting. Mm-hmm. And Pratt, you know, the look on Pratt's face, clearly wanting to do right by her, but I'm sure to some extent he is handcuffed by what he's able to do because of the fact that she's a minor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And now that the father is dead, the the mother is the legal, you know, she has the legal rights over this child. It's just oh, like, it's another one of those examples of, like I said, it's it, this episode is incredibly difficult to watch and it is undoubtedly right. trauma porn, but well, I do hesitate to just completely write it off and dismiss it as a bad episode. Yeah. Well, especially like, it's like we've said in 2002, it's not like you're going to call social services and say, hey, this is an unfit mother because she doesn't want her trans child to live as a wo- like a girl. Yeah. Like, and Carter basically, and, yeah. and the one the one bit of like you know, uh, reason from Carter this episode is is where he basically says like, what are you gonna like you can what is child services gonna do what is what are they gonna do right. realistically? Yeah, but it doesn't make it any easier to watch. No. Moving on from that unpleasantness, uh, Chen's working on a guy with frequent earaches, and Chuni pulls her aside. The girl has, from earlier is has come back. Chuni pulls her aside, and the girl from earlier has come back in wanting her baby back. Hmm. Hold on. Chuni pulls her aside, and the girl from earlier has come in and is wanting her baby, baby back. Baby back. Baby back. <laughs> One more time, Lizzie baby back thank you Jellies. that's hey. what this episode needed uh. Uh, anyway harkin starts giving her sass and uh chen asks romy the mom if she can really take care of a baby and harkin's just like mother of the year huh Fuck right harkin it's like they had a episode. bet Fuck it's like harkin's. they had a bet going to see how many different ways they could make harkin suck in a single episode yeah, and I want to note, um, they do this, like, she's like, yeah, I can have my mom help. And Chen goes, well, did your mom know you are pregnant? And she goes, no, but I can tell her. And they're like, okay, well, let's see what we can do. Um, and then that's when Harkins, as, as Romy walks away while they're going to figure it out, uh, that's when Harkins is like, mother of the year. But yes, you're right. They absolutely were like, all right, let's put Harkins' face up on a dartboard and see how many times we can hit it. Uh, yeah, and uh, this is the first time we get a, a clear look at Romy here, the mother. Uh, she is played by actress Journey Smollett of the uh, Smollett family of uh, actors. Uh, she appears... Chicago, Chicago famous, <laughs> Chicago's first right? family. Most, most famous, her brother, of course, most famously uh, for being a minor character in the first Mighty Ducks movie. Let's not, uh, let's not completely overshadow all of his great career accomplishments. Uh, including, including wasting millions of dollars of, ta- of Chicago and, taxpayer money on a yeah, fucking publicity stunt. Took me a minute to put that Faking together. a hate crime. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Birds of Prey, Full House, and Lovecraft Country are uh, Journey's most famous credits. Because remember, kids, a subway at three, at 2 or 3 in the morning in River North, like basically downtown, that's clearly Trump country. And people will just be out there in the middle in like negative 40 degree weather just committing hate crimes all over the place. That whole thing was such a shit show. Holy shit. Not great. Holy shit. Um, then Matilda is going into VTAC while Halle and Susan are in the room. It turns out that she had a DNR and Luca comes in and asks why he wasn't aware of it. And Halle's like, she had it in her purse and wanted to make sure it was in her medical records. So 
love love Halle in the background here. Just always love me some Halle. And then uh, Gallant is talking to Melody's son out in chairs about the Navy. And uh, Susan tells the son that Melody has to stay for observation because, you know, they want to check and make sure there's no intestinal damage and that she's feeling okay and everything's good. And he's the son goes like, well, I'm, I'm shipping out in two days. Like, I, what am I going to do? And Susan very, very dryly goes, good, things, good thing they invented telephones, huh? <laughs> And um, after they walk away, she tells Gallant what's going on, and he's like, you lied? And she goes, no, I stretched the diagnosis. Like, again, we teach our med students, sometimes you got to protect the patient in not-so-obvious ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to our last audio clip here, though. Uh, Abby and Maggie are going to see Eric at the hotel. What number? 309. You have a key? Eric, it's Abby. Can you let me in? I need to talk to you. Are you alone? No, Mom's here too. Why'd you bring her? She's worried about you, Eric. I don't want you here. Okay, just hold on, all right? I don't want you in my life right now. What? Are you coming in? Okay. Eric, don't do this. Move your hand. You need help. I don't want to hurt you. You can't do this by yourself. You need structure and stability. Someone you can rely on and trust. That's not you anymore, okay? You don't understand. Yes, I do. You think you do, but you don't. You're not like us. You never will be. I'll call you when we get settled. Don't bother. Abby. Abby? Oh, the it's not you anymore. Fuck. Mm. Yeah. Uh... I just, I don't know. Like I said, I feel for everyone involved in this situation. I feel I feel for all the emotional turmoil that Eric must be going through. And I feel for Abby for feeling like, you know, she's being abandoned by the people that she has spent most of her life caring for in one way or another. And I also feel for Maggie, who probably is in the strangest place of all of finding herself probably for the first time in her adult life or certainly for the first time in a very long time. Uh, finding herself as the like person best equipped to help in a situation like that's probably a weird headspace for Maggie to be in that she could be helpful in a situation like this um, where she's usually the person in need of help so it's probably weird for her too and it's just uh, it's 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 a lot But I'm glad they don't make it cut and dry. Right, yeah. I think they do do a very good job of of adding some nuance to it. Um, Oh, God. Then we go over to uh, Pratt and Carter in the lounge. I think this might be where Carter says something to the Mm -hmm. effect of, like, what do you expect social services to do? You know, and um, because he's confronting Carter about calling Morgan's mom. You know, he's like, you weren't here. What were we supposed to do? Yada, yada, yada. They come out and... They see Morgan being wheeled out mm. by the mother. 
just looking dead inside like the catatonic look that this girl this actress gives is like i said earlier in the episode it's haunting like it is absolutely haunting it is all in the eyes and like it's just it's brutal it is absolutely brutal Mm -hmm. um but uh we see romy and her mom has showed up uh and uh Romy and the mother are uh, taking the baby home. Mom seems very excited about this whole prospect. And, like, they sort of allude to, like, Chen being a little bit melancholy about it. That I think, I think the implication is that Chen had developed some kind of connection to this baby over the course of the episode. I think part of it, too, is she's probably thinking of her. No, yeah. I I definitely think there's an element of that in there. And I think that there was. I think there was part of it that like, oh, I, you know, maybe uh, like they're trying to name the kid. And like, I think there is supposed to be this like implication that maybe Chen is thinking about taking this child home. And I don't know. It's just underbaked. Like, I would have liked to have seen them do it. It's not that I don't like it. It's not that I don't think it's a good thread to pull on. I just don't think they pull on it hard enough. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Susan's talking about needing a margarita and Chen, this is again melancholy about the whole thing, says that she's going to pass and go home instead. So Chen's in her feelings a little bit. Uh, and then we just hop over to Luca cashing his check from Matilda at a seedy uh, check cashing place, uh, presumably to uh, go go hang out with more sex workers. Well, uh, actually... Well, actually, I got to do this. Um, when you when they switch to that scene, there's a woman in his car already. Oh, well, there you go. There's a blonde woman in his car already. Could be the same Could woman be. as the other episode, Could be. but yeah. Right. And uh, Leon asks if he's going to get his job back. He's looking at the wanted ads, and his friends gave him an Xbox after they, quote, won it. There was no box with it. Great. Spectacular. Cool. Um. But then, because Carter just lives on Abby's stoop now, um, he's as she's out there smoking, he's begging her to tell him what happened with Eric, and she's like, nothing happened. Despite the best laid plans, nothing happened, which is a great fucking line. Um, and he's like, what? What do you mean? Like, blah, 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 blah. And she, she's like, I really don't want to talk about it. Like, you're ruining my pity cigarette. Shut up. Yeah, I do like the, the very, like, poetic, flowery way she describes her cigarette. Like, that is a... <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect cigarette yeah, is like. like there, there is something very cool about that. Uh, this episode sucks, and I never hope to watch it ever again. Zero out of ten. Cool. And, and and I can't invalidate any of those feelings because I don't have the lived experience, and it's not – it doesn't – I mean, it hits me, but it doesn't hit me in the same way. It would. It, much like the bipolar thing, you have to have lived that experience in order to feel what it feels like to be inside of it. So I can't invalidate any of those feelings. I can only bring my perspective to it and say that, as I've said all along throughout the episode, I can. it's a very difficult episode to watch. It is not a fun watch, and I can totally understand why people would skip it. In the, Because there's also not that much in this episode that is really uh, consequential, you know? Like, there's really not that much in it. Like, you already knew from last episode that shit was fucked up with Maggie and Eric, so, like, I don't think you really needed that reinforced as a plot point to be able to understand what's happening going forward from here. So like, I don't feel like that stuff is particularly consequential. All the rest of it is all one-off patients. And so it's just trauma porn for the sake of trauma porn. And so like, I am, I can understand why you might want to 
skip this in a rewatch mm-hmm. if it's particularly upsetting. But I, 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 as I said a couple times throughout the episode, I do sort of there is some part of me that is like hesitant to just completely dismiss the episode as bad. I think it reflects a lot of the attitudes of the time, and I think it pulls no punches. I, I think it would have been disingenuous to the attitudes of the time for it to have this one have one character or two characters who like are like the glowing shining voice of reason of like they get the they always get the pronouns right and they always like advocate to the fullest extent and like those attitudes just didn't really exist in popular culture in 2002 and so in that respect i think it is a very brutally authentic portrayal of the very fucked up very tragic situation and it's the best I think you can really expect for something like that, particularly at this time. So like totally get it. If you, if somebody needs to skip it or doesn't want to watch it or doesn't want to acknowledge it, that's totally valid. I just think that there's a little bit more nuance to whether or not it is quote air quotes, good or air quotes, bad as an episode. Uh, I'm going to say eight out of 10 for performances, zero out of 10 for fuck this. I don't want to watch Fair it again. Enough. But Lauren, the listeners had many thoughts. What they have to say? Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, All right. Alina M. says, I think it's general consensus that ER holds up very well as to date, with exception of some episodes. This episode is obviously a good example. In 2023, the Morgan story is hard to watch. Elizabeth reacts like she has just heard Santa Claus isn't real. Everyone switches pronouns at the drop of a hat. Harkins enters the room when Morgan just told her not to. But there is also a lot of good parts. Maura Tierney is so unbelievably good at portraying Abby, she nails it. She is Abby. I understand why people find Abby annoying, but let's not forget that she's traumatized by her childhood. She's cruel to her mother. You're not anyone's mother. My impression is that Abby's identity is tightly entwined with her role as a caretaker, which becomes severely threatened when Maggie takes on the mother role with Eric. When Eric tends to Maggie, she feels rejected and defeated. I think they made it easy for the viewer to see that Maggie is right about the treatment of Eric and Abby isn't. Abby is very much stuck in the pattern of rescuing. Her solutions with Eric are unrealistic. Eric and I will get into a routine with his treatment and I'll work on I'll work days so I can keep an eye on him at night. And she still thinks this of she still thinks this of her own burden. The way she tried to survive when she was a child is so ingrained in, that it's difficult to change this. Carter, on the other hand, must have frequented AA or NA meetings lately. He's not stepping in, judging her, or telling her what to do. By the looks on his face, he feels left out by Abby. He implies that he wants to help her with Eric, but it doesn't even occur to her that he might be the one to help her. It's even more visible how left out, frustrated, and discouraged he feels when she's smoking on her doorstep and doesn't want to talk with him about what happened and then goes inside, leaving him outside. But she does leave the door open. Do I have to point out that Abby's trying to fix Eric exactly what she didn't want Carter to do with her? I don't think so. Heather R. says, Let me put myself back to when this episode aired and I watched it as a teenager. The Morgan storyline wasn't something I remember being done before on TV, or maybe it was and I just hadn't seen it. During the episode, and especially the scene where Morgan's hair is getting chopped off, I really felt so sad for the character. You could see the emotions and how difficult this was for her. From that perspective of Morgan, I felt like the story accomplished what it was meant to do in that regard. What a horrible situation for Morgan to be forced to essentially be somebody else and not be accepted by family. 
on Abby and her family, her frustration with the line, I'm done, I'm done with the both of them, I'm done with it all, cancel Christmas, was well done by Maura. It's a good summary of her life and all of the issues in many ways. I felt so bad for her when she gets the door in her face with her brother saying, that's not you anymore, okay? Right or wrong, bipolar or not, it must be so hard to take care of your mom and brother your whole life and then be treated that way. Gen T says, okay, this episode is a lot. Well, there you go, Lizzie. We wrote the we wrote the episode description for you right there. It's, it's already Perfect. done. This hey. episode is a lot. Uh, first, I want to address something that is a long-time talking point in the Luca Abbey corner of the fandom. We have many headcanons. Why is Abby's kitchen so ridiculous? Like, that thing looks like someone's grandmother has, grandmother's house in the 80s. She doesn't cook, so just why? Excellent point. Uh, okay. To be serious, uh, the Morgan storyline will forever break my heart. I cringe at the language used, but unfortunately that was the common nomenclature. Everyone failed that poor kid except her father. Uh, Pratt and Leon, oof, I won't be sad when this story is over. I get what they were trying to do, but it really just failed all around. Uh, Chen, poor sweet Chen, when are they going to let you have a fleshed out storyline? This episode gave us some glimmers with the abandoned baby, but of course we can't have nice things. Uh, and listen, I'm not defending Luca here because it was shitty to take that check, but I also love how he bonded with Matilda and how her death affected him. Luca's silently affected by so much this season, and I hate that nobody sees it. Abby does, but steps back because of Carter. Susan, too, but lets it go. It makes me sad. Uh, his use of the uh, hooker, air quotes, sex worker, uh, as his therapist and to stay out of messy romantic entanglements he doesn't want to deal with is both heart-wrenching and kind of smart, honestly, but I'll get more into that later. Hello, Maroon 5 and Harder to Breathe. Oh, yeah, how did we forget to talk about that? The the most early aughts of uh, needle drops with that song there. Holy shit. Um, and uh, lastly, how did Maura freaking Turney never win an Emmy for this show? Beginning to end of this episode, she is perfection. Her face after Eric closes her out kills me every single time. But also I laugh at her snarky. It's weight-based when Eric is talking about being on over 500 milligrams of Depakote, getting you committed. And finally, Harkin sucks. She's annoying, irritating, and silly. I said what I said. Um, which they also, uh, we also forgot to mention too, that they, they do the first little uh, glimpse of Harkins and Luca being a thing uh, in this episode. Where oh, they yeah. they kind of have a brief little flirtatious interaction. That's, I think that's when Matilda says, well, you have no problem yeah, with women. So, uh, and then last but certainly not least, maybe one of the better uh, listener responses we've ever had, Grace B uh, with, uh, this is so stupid, but Morgan's story makes me ill. However, there's something in my inner child that feels especially sickened watching Grandma Aggie's daughter be this kind of parent. Y'all are, <laughs> y'all are all young enough to be Halloween Town people, right? Absolutely. I think, didn't we have the daughter from Halloween Town in an earlier episode? Uh, I think we did, and that's what made me finally watch it as a thirty-year-old. It's a great movie because I was I was peak age for it, but I just it's never watched movie. it. Uh, I'm still trying to tease out the second thing I said I was chewing on last week. So Lauren, please bear with me here. Ha! Jokes on you. It's me reading it. <laughs> uh, watching Eric's storyline again is killing me because I really identify with Abby here. If you'll permit me to be blunt for a minute and use declaratives with no nuance whatsoever, uh, it's been Abby and Eric against Maggie for Eric's entire life. They've had to be a team against Maggie and how her illness and her choices in addressing it or mostly not addressing it have put them in varieties of jeopardy and instability. They've had to be a team to survive. And now it's like Eric is allying with Maggie and leaving Abby alone. Like Eric has joined the dark side, not because he has bipolar disorder, but because it's like he's choosing Maggie over Abby here. Like Abby says, he and Maggie are now in a club together and he's shutting Abby out. 
What I'm trying to say is that I empathize with Abby having had a family dynamic where it was her and one family member, in this case her brother, against another family member who was hurting them, and now her ally has sided with the danger slash villain, etc. Uh, turned his back on her, given up their promise to each other, and left Abby alone. In joining Maggie, he's joining one of his and Abby's greatest antagonists and threats, historically speaking, uh, like he's Benedict Arnold. Okay, I've edited this at least once. I'm sorry, y'all. This is all I've got. Thanks for the catharsis, if nothing else. Yeah, this was the listener response um, that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Grace's take here really helped me see it more from Abby's side. So, like, with how fucking much I complained about Abby this episode, I was worse before I read this response. So, <laughs> thank Just you, like Grace. this episode, it could always be worse. Okay. Um, I don't feel like doing the outro today, so I uh, will just say thank you. Uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. We love you, all everyone. Uh, please support the Trevor Project, trevorproject.org, as I believe their website. Um, but... Yeah, I this today's just been a lot. So, right. we love you. We'll see you next week. Bye.